This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Alyssa Explains It All. Today, I am joined by producer Matt. Hey! <laughs> every time, every time, it just sounds like you had no idea that you were recording. Ne- did not know. Wait, what are we doing here? Um, <laughs> you know what, Alyssa, when we hit record, we weren't really sure what we were going to talk about. But I actually just realized, of course, there's something very specific that we could talk about. Oh, what um, is it? Now, this will be slightly outdated by the time the episode comes out. But yeah. at the time that we're recording this, we are uh, we just had the one year anniversary of the trailer of the circle season four dropping and like the world knowing <laughs> who you were. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. That is so funny. I, I, I thought you were going to ask me about love is blind. <laughs> yeah. But... No, like what? So what? Um. What was that like? Because I didn't know you back then. Yeah, it was weird because it was like we waited for for months for this to come out. And there's all this anticipation and all this like, you know, you tell your parents and you tell your friends, you're like, it's going to be huge when it happens. It's going to be huge when it happens. And then it happens. And then you're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it's the one of the cool things about the circle is most of the people who are on there are like not have never had any attention in that way like we we're just normal regular zegulish megula people and then we get cast on this show and our whole life is like you know flipped upside down in the best way possible so it was weird because it was it it felt like it felt like anything i did and everywhere i went like every cell in my body was like tingling and electric because everything was exciting. And there was so much opportunity coming my way. And even now my life is so different, so different than what it was before. And the opportunities that I've, I've gotten from doing the show, like I, I can't even, I can't even believe I say this all the time, but I can't believe this is my life. And it's all because I just like applied for this show. Like it, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. So I have two additional things that I would Mm -hmm. like to ask about this. So obviously I was a diehard fan and watched like the minute that season four dropped. And that's, I feel like I've said this before. I feel like that directly was how I was able to become friends with you was that I contacted you before like the full explosion happened. Yeah. (laughs) But in a past episode with Sammy, she said like just the trailer alone like there was such a huge change in her social mm-hmm. life. 
uh, I got to see in real time, like the the show coming out and like your, you know, Instagram followers doing like 9,000, 90,000 more than it was prior. Did you, when the trailer dropped, was there like just a couple trickle in change or was there a pretty noticeable, like, Oh shit, people are finding me already. It was, it was very much a trickle in. I think when I got the biggest, like um group of people was when I left the show, honestly. Cause really? Okay. I think people were just like really upset with the way that I <laughs> the way that I got uh, it was upsetting. booted <laughs> off the show. <laughs> and I think it also probably was some pity follows because I cried. <laughs> I mean, it was a bullshit way for you to get kicked off the show. Yeah. Let's be honest. Like I'm watching Survivor for the very first time and there's there's a world of difference of like being voted out fair and square and tribal and like falling and injuring yourself and being forced yeah. to have to leave. Like when when it's not the traditional way to be booted, there's something that like stings extra hard because it's like there's nothing you could have done differently whatsoever in that circumstance. A hundred percent. And it also I think at the time and really the reason I was so upset is because, well, two things. First of all, when I went on the show, I throughout COVID, I was really trying to make big changes to my life. I didn't like I didn't like working in a corporate job. I didn't like um, feeling like I had just I was going up this like ladder in, in the corporate marketing world and I hated it. I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this. So I. I had moved out to LA and wanted to have a really intense hard reset. And boy, did I get it because (laughs) then when the pandemic started, I basically, I was just like broke as a joke. Like I had no money. I was building debt, all this crazy stuff. And so when you get cast on a show like the circle and they have you, they have you do your psych evals, they say, like, um, if you don't get cast on the show, will you be like mentally okay? Basically saying like, is this cannot be your last resort because we can't guarantee that you'll go on. And even if you do go on, we can't guarantee that you'll, you know, get a social media following or that this will do anything for you. So this can't be your last resort. And I just kept being like, it's not, don't worry, big fat lie. Because if I had not gotten that the show, I, I think my my life would have continued to be really, really stressful. Your <laughs> life would have been dramatically different, in all yeah. honesty. If you hadn't gotten on that show, you wouldn't have the boyfriend you currently have. Yeah. You mm-hmm. wouldn't have this podcast. You wouldn't know me. Yep. You wouldn't know most of the people that you text on a regular basis. <laughs> right, you right. wouldn't have any of the, pretty much every guest that we've had on this show, most of the guests that we've had on these show, the show mm-hmm. was relationships you built because of your appearance on the circle. Yeah, totally. And like, and so when I got, when I got booted off the show, I was, I was really upset because I wanted to make it to the end. I so badly wanted to make that money because I had so much like COVID debt I had to pay off, which now thankfully knock on wood or whatever superstition you have, I've been able to actually pay that down because of the opportunities I've had, which is like such a blessing. But it also was, it was also upsetting because it obviously it came out of nowhere. And I literally thought that they were going to bring me back. I was so sure. I was so positive. I was like, no way. This is the way that I go. No, wrong season. The following season, they would bring everybody right, back for any. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I think they did it in the in the season prior because the reason that I thought that they would. Br- oh yeah, they did it with um Michelle. 
didn't they? Where they sure. brought her back? Season three, I barely remember. Yeah. <laughs> which, which isn't like it was a bad season. I just genuinely don't remember. I watched that season while I was waiting to get called on for my season. Like it oh. came out and the episodes started coming out while I was in my holding apartment in England, which was kind of fun. So oh, I did you not get to finish it. it until afterwards? No, I didn't get to finish it till after. <laughs> 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 which while we were in our holding um, apartments, that's what uh that was when like squid games was coming out and everyone mm -hmm. was obsessed with it and it blew up immediately and my chaperone amy kept saying do you want to start squid games because like everyone's obsessed with it and i was like no because if i can't finish it before i get on the show i'm gonna be waiting with no i'm not gonna it's gonna kill me i can't start yeah. it now <laughs> no so, that's fair so, so yeah so I've had one last thing that I want to bring up, and I think that this directly links to our guest in yeah. a weird way. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about you specifically mm -hmm. and the fact that like so many people have come out of the woodwork that wanted you to work with them or wanted you to be a guest on their podcast. And I think that that's kind of a really beautiful thing because yeah. you know as well as I do, like... We've seen a million and one influencers that want to be blank. Influencer mm -hmm. who says that they're a sex coach. Influencer who says that they're a podcaster. And then when it's like a thing that you actually care about, you like look at them and you're like, no, you fraud. Like this is just <laughs> like a thing that you have like a passing interest in, but like you don't have the passion for it to like this to literally be your thing. Mm -hmm. And somehow in what is ultimately a very short period of time, like when you're watching the circle season four, as it dropped every single week, it feels like you were there much longer than like mm -hmm. when you sit down to binge it. Yeah. You made an impact on a lot of sex coaches and people in the sex world that you respected beforehand that were like, Oh, this girl's the real deal. Holy field. Like, I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that's kind of awesome. And, and it's through all of that, that you were able to meet this week's guest. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. That makes me feel very good. And I, um, today we have Danielle, um, on the podcast from sex with DB. She has sex with DB is her podcast. It's also her social handles and she is a, um, sex educator with a whole ass master's degree. So this woman is, she's smart as hell and super well, uh, educated and all of this stuff. And, really the biggest thing is like put in so much time and energy and investment into, into this industry. And so, um, I'm really honored to have her on. And I also, this, this whole industry and this whole field is so important to me. And I say this on, um, kind of the end of our interview, I would never want to choose an industry that I just like strictly wanted to monetize off of it. Like the people who have built this industry before me, including people like Danielle, they are so important. They are the fabric of all of this. They are the reason why I can I can exist, you know? And so I'm really, really grateful. I'm happy that there are other people in the industry who also sense that I I don't I have no intention of taking advantage of any part of it. And it really is just very important to me. So um, so yeah, so this week we have Danielle on the pod. We talk about her experience um, getting her education or going through her education and 
teaching, sex education. Um, and we talk about a whole bunch of really exciting and important stuff, including some new projects that she's working on. It's just always, it's always really exciting to have people from the sex education industry on. Um, and we have some really fun conversations. I also was on her podcast and it was probably like almost a year ago now. So she was one of the first people to reach out to me aside from Matt when I came out on the show being an assistant to a sex coach with the vulva pillow and everything. And so she gave me a chance. She gave me a shot before many others did. And so I'm very, very grateful for her. And I'm very grateful that she came on my podcast to share her infinite wisdom and big juicy brain. So um, without further ado, Danielle. Woohoo! Hi, Danielle. I'm so happy Hello. to have you on. Welcome thank to the pod. Oh, thank you, Alyssa. I'm so, so happy to be here. It's a beautiful day where I am, and I hope it's a beautiful day where you are too. Are you in Brooklyn? Or did you I move? used to be, yes. I okay. moved to Oakland, California. So now oh I live on the West Coast. That's so nice. It is. It's very not nice. really I'm in I'm in Westchester County, so like, you know, up. But it it's kind of gray. But I like the the like how green everything is. It's just Lush. so pretty. I can't really complain much. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Lushness is great. Yeah, it is. It's really lovely. And it's really nice after a long long, dry winter. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited to have you on today because you're a sex educator. You make a ton of sex ed content and you have an amazing podcast called Sex Ed with DB. And it's a feminist podcast bringing you all the sex ed you never got through unique and entertaining storytelling centering LGBTQ and BIPOC experts. And I you love got it. it. You got I, it fully. I'm, I am nothing if not prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. So um, I want to learn a little bit about you and how you came to this whole path. Like, how did you decide sex ed was going to be your path? Great cue. Great starting cue. So <laughs> it's kind of a multifaceted answer where the first part of it is that my mom is an OBGYN. So very oh. much, yes, yes, plot twist. Um, yeah. I talk about vaginas from a very young age. Yeah. Uh, so I think like her being that, doing that job and us, you know, I joke about it, but say like, oh, we talked about placentas over the over pizza. Like she'll right. just kind of talk about her patient's placenta and what's going on with it while right. we're eating. And that was just very normal conversation. And that really started me on the path of really recognizing the fact that reproductive health and reproductive rights were so, so important, and especially for young girls and women at that time growing up in the 90s and early 2000s. And then I uh, studied film at UC Berkeley and a minor in education. I was just always passionate about storytelling. And then I had this really wild experience when I was studying uh, or rather I was teaching, it felt like a study abroad, but it was more of like a teaching English abroad, same kind of energy, um, in Israel for the year after I graduated from college. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was a cool experience. I'm like half Afghani slash half Israeli Jew. So basically like my family on my dad's side was from Afghanistan, were Jewish. There were very few Afghani Jews. So in the 70s, they were kicked out of the country and they moved to Israel. And then him wow. and a couple other of his family members moved to America, but some of them stayed in Israel. So I have like my grandma there and aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff. So I went there to teach English and got to know them. 
And uh, my teaching cohort, we were on a field trip uh, during one of the days uh, that we were all together to a very religious community in Jerusalem. And it was called mm-hmm. the Community of the Bells, B-E-L-L-Z. Okay. And there was like a main rabbi there who's kind of like, hey, let me show you around. Here's the temple. Let's talk about our traditions. He was very orthodox, very religious rabbi. <clears throat> okay. And he offhandedly during his like presentation and during our talk kind of says, hey, you know, also I have five daughters. And when each of them reach the age of 17 or 18, they're married off by the matchmaker and they don't learn about sex until their wedding night when they have it for the first time. And we like pray as like, I can't believe he really like said all this. He was like, and we pray that like they get pregnant that night. Like that's the Wow. And I was 21 at the time. So a wee lass, uh, just very uncomfortable in my body and felt like very wronged personally by what he Mm -hmm. was saying. Like I'm a Jewish person. Everyone in the room was Jewish. It's not like we had that difference, but it was a difference in like the way in which we value human rights and like the ability for people to make autonomous decisions, specifically young women Mm -hmm. in this community. And I was like the only one to kind of raise my hand. It shot up kind of like automatically. And I was like, what, what about like, you know, he's like, yeah, what, what's up? And I was like, what about like what they want? And if they're not ready to be moms and their consent, I just like kind of said all this stuff to him. And he was like waving me off and was like, that's just not how it goes here. Kind of like next question kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I knew that like sex education and like public health stuff was going to be my path. And that's when I started researching public health programs and ended up going to Columbia to get my MPH uh, with a focus in sexuality and reproductive health. And uh, yeah, started my podcast in 2017. Oh my gosh, that is an amazing journey. And it's cool that you have a very specific origin story for all of this. Totally. And, And especially coming from a household where like, where you were having conversations about sexuality and reproductive rights and all of these things, most families um, are not having those conversations at home. So you had a bit of an advantage in that way. So that when you went um, abroad and you were hearing these conversations, I'm sure that all of the sirens and alarms were like, this is not going to work for me. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. It just was, it was like, this is unacceptable. And I think, you know, there there is something to be said if this was kind of like a different country than I would be used to and like a, a completely different culture, then maybe it yeah. would have been inappropriate for me to say something because culture is very strong. And especially where you're talking about other countries where there's a different language, there's a different, you know, uh, structure of the family, there's different expectations put on women, right? Like not saying any of that is correct or incorrect, but it's just different and it wouldn't have been in my element. But because I am Jewish and because I do have family in Israel and because I do partially feel comfortable like communicating that with someone, it felt like the the proper time. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you um, had decided that this is what you were going to do, especially for your master's in public health at Cornell, which is Columbia, but yes. Oh, that's even okay. Well, <laughs> that's fancy too. So Cornell's both of them are cool. I, I just yeah, Cornell's also yeah Col- Ivy League, but yes, it was it was Columbia, but okay. yeah. In case there are Co- Cornell listeners, you Cornell's fantastic you- school. You did great. <laughs> both of them are fantastic schools. Let's yeah. be clear. Yes. I apologize for that though. Hey, so that's okay. What was that experience like? being at Columbia and just doing that program. Yeah. I 
liked it. I think like I have uh, many minds about it. You know, it was a very expensive program. I, I still yeah. very much am in debt. You know, I have like $47,000 that I owe that government that I'm going to yeah. have to pay back eventually. So I think just generally I have an issue with how expensive higher education is and the fact that if you want to better yourself and kind of you know, hopefully make a positive impact that it, it it's going to cost you a pretty penny. So that kind of aside, I do think that I really enjoyed meeting the friends that I did. Uh, some of my classes were really special and a couple of my professors who I'm like still kind of in touch with. And I really, really learned a lot from. Uh, mm. I wouldn't have traded it. I'm, I'm definitely really glad that I did it. Yeah, that's amazing. So were your friends or family surprised when you decided that this is what you were going to do? Or were they like, oh, okay, part for the course, let's do it? <laughs> Good question. I don't know that I even knew like what I wanted to do after college or kind of like as a young person. I think like now as a 30 year old, like I'm mm -hmm. looking back and kind of like I really wasn't sure because I don't think that there are many paths carved out for sex educators. That wasn't yeah. really anything that I understood what that was, but I always knew that I wanted a higher degree, that I wanted a master's degree because I, I do love learning and I love school and I love you know, figuring out kind of what what that means for me as an individual mm -hmm. on this planet to just like learn stuff and like be able to teach others and be able to help others. And that was always like something I was super passionate about. So I toyed with the idea of maybe being a in-class teacher. Like I wasn't really sure if I wanted to get a master's in education. I just knew mm -hmm. that I really liked youth and kids and like, like teaching in the classroom. But I think this this path of sex educator podcaster, right? Like seven, yeah. eight years ago, that wasn't really a thing. I think like in the past five years, maybe, and definitely since the pandemic, it's been more common for people to use media, use social media, use internet tools to be able to tell your story and to be able to uh, entertain people in a way. Yeah, totally. And it's cool. I think you naturally found what what was going to be what makes you successful? I mean, like this was like, it just was the natural progression of, of what you loved. And that's amazing. I feel like that's a good, like, that's the, that's the special sauce for having like a great podcast, a great social presence, like, cause you love it. And it was like what totally. you naturally, what you, you were naturally inclined to do. So do you teach at all now? I do occasionally in the classroom, I'll kind of like, um, in grad school, I definitely did for like a full semester. That was kind of um, something that I signed up for because I really enjoyed creating curriculum and having a teaching partner and kind of we would create the curriculum together and then go um, and teach separate classes and then kind of debrief about like what went well. But in the past couple of years, I would say, you know, COVID happened, no one was really yeah. in the classroom. But in the past, like, two-ish years, I've gone in the classroom, I think like two or three separate, three separate occasions mm -hmm. with a middle school uh, or two middle schools and a high school, I think, okay. or a middle school and two high schools or something like that. And uh, usually it's kind of either like a health week where I'm brought in for like five mm -hmm. days or something and we'll kind of talk about the curriculum in advance and then I'll teach it and there's room for questions and conversation. Or I've also been brought in for like, you know, two sessions in a row where like each day we're talking about something special for, you know, an hour and a half, whether that be yeah. birth control, uh, porn literacy, I talked about kind of recently uh, to a group of 12th graders. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so fun. I love chatting with kids and like, they're, they're so brilliant and they know so much and they're such 
uh, better masters of the internet than we yeah. are as mm-hmm. millennials. Like Gen Z clearly has a better handle on like what's going on and how to yes. how to access stuff. But yeah, I, I do occasionally still do that. Did you learn about the millennial pause? Have you heard about this? Because no, it's mortifying. Okay, so apparently millennials will um, pause in the beginning of any video that we film because we grew up with technology that like required that. So when we were going to take a video on Instagram, there'll be like a microsecond of a pause and Gen Z just simply doesn't do that because their technology evolved enough where they didn't have to. And once I learned that, I was like, I can't unsee it and I'm so embarrassed. I have not even thought about that. Like pause in the sense that like we're waiting for like the quote film to catch up or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. You'll never unsee it now. And I'm sorry to ruin your day like that. Interesting. I'm fascinated now. I'm going to go check yeah. that out for sure. Yeah. I think you'll start to notice it. Even if you don't do it, you'll see other people do it. And then other Gen Zers just like go right into whatever they're going to say. Don't Aren't and they afraid they're going to get cut off? What's going on there? They have no, no fear? fear. No fear. No fear. They're Respect, just going- honestly. I know. I know. Um, so you were in middle schools recently, high school. Do you feel like there are things – I think people in general would be surprised by how curious these kids actually are, even at like the middle school level. Oh, and totally. Like the, I'm sure that the questions you're getting, people wouldn't – would never in a million years think that this is running through a middle schooler's brain. Do you feel like that's the experience that you have? Yeah, I do think people don't give middle schoolers enough credit. I mean, like, think about when you were in middle school and the kind of stuff that you were looking up online, like girls kissing, boobies, like whatever kinds of things that you were Googling. Like, imagine what 12-year-olds are capable of Googling now that the internet is Mm -hmm. just everywhere at all times, like on on the tips of their fingers. And so, yeah, I think like other people would be surprised, but me having done this and knowing that I always offer like an anonymous question box, very few things surprise me anymore. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And actually, we had just spoken to um, Mariah Caudillo, who you you have a new project coming out with. We do. It's actually the first episode airs today, actually. Oh, my God. Okay, this uh, is so Friday, exciting. Friday, April 28th, yeah. Okay, amazing. So we'll put links for everything in the, um, in the bio too. And amazing. she had sort of a similar experience where the questions that even she posts on her Instagram of the the anonymous box were questions that even for me, I was surprised that a middle schooler is asking such specific pointed questions. Mm-hmm. And again, I think you're right. We don't give middle schoolers enough credit. And it's cool to give them the platform to actually – um, explore and ask the questions that they're going to be asking anyway. I would rather them get it from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like there's no harm in curiosity. I think the harm really comes when we kind of teach kids that whatever they're thinking is inappropriate because at the end of the day, like you said, they're going to get that information from somewhere and most likely it's going to be porn. So we might as well like give them the platform and the ability and the resources, right? Like hammer again, over and over again. Hey, whatever question you have, Google that question. And then the words Planned Parenthood next to it. Google the question that you have and the words Mayo Clinic next to it. CDC, whatever we want to give them, like let's point them to the sources that have like science backed information that we trust and we want them to feel like, hey, that's not an embarrassing question at all. That's totally fine that you're wondering that. Yeah. And I think what you do really well on your, even your social platforms is you talk about everything in such like a neutralized 
way. And I would imagine in a classroom too, that would be really helpful. I think when you're inclined to feel embarrassed about talking about sex and sexuality, it's tough to then be in a classroom with a person who's also kind of embarrassed to be there. And I think a a lot of people have that experience with like uh, any like health teacher or God forbid you had a gym teacher that had to do your sex ed that year, which a lot of people, yeah, have that experience. It's like embarrassing for them. Then it's embarrassing for you and no one's learning anything and Mm -hmm. everyone's just red in the face and then their brain just blocks out everything that they just learned. Right. Yeah. And like, listen, they're not trained, right? Like I don't blame them for also being embarrassed. Like teachers who do that, need to go through very specific training. And if they don't have that, then why don't we just play videos for young people from people who are sex educated? Like we can do this on the internet. Like we don't need to have people teaching them in person if they're going to do a shitty job. Like we might as well just have Planned Parenthood videos or other sex ed videos or play TikToks like from sex educators. Play Mariah, right? Like answering a question every day, one question a day. That's better than having a gym teacher be weird about STIs in front of you. Totally. But people are so nervous about what information is being given to their kids when it comes to sexuality and really anything else, but especially sexuality. I think the parents are just really worried about what information is getting put out there. Mm -hmm. Partially, I'm sure, because they didn't really grow up with sex ed the way that we are trying to um, impose on their children, not impose, but trying to give to their children now. I'll say it. I want to impose sex ed on all <laughs> I kids. Imp- yeah. <laughs> Age appropriate, like health and sex education, K through 12. Like when I say that too, like there is so much backlash around like, you're teaching our kindergartens about kindergartners about sex. And it's like, nope, let me be clear. Like at kindergarten, yeah. we're talking about boundaries and sharing and how to be a good friend and you know like things of that nature it's like health and like social emotional learning and like maybe when we get to fifth grade that's when we're talking about periods and body changes Mm. and puberty and other things and so i think it's it's so important to really emphasize that like go read the like california healthy youth act standards and that is what k through 12 should we should be teaching the whole country of youth yeah, yeah. I think it's important that you show and describe that that the lessons you're teaching grow with the kids. And yeah. one of the things that I think is also really interesting is children, they're, they're, it's been proven that when you teach children the names of their parts, the actual names, not like these weird coochie, mm-hmm. whatever, cookie. <laughs> yeah, cookie, like all these ridiculous words, they're more likely to report to their parents when something inappropriate has happened. Right. And, and it's not inappropriate to know the names of your body parts. It's the same way that you would know like an elbow. It's mm-hmm. like your vulva. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know where that like that really intense fear comes from, from having your kindergartner be able to say like, vagina or vulva. Yeah. I think like so many parents just think that knowing those names of body parts equates to a loss of innocence for some reason, like Mm. giving your kids the proper names for what they want to call their body parts might lead to earlier sexual debut or sexual assault or more masturbation. And it's like, kids are going to masturbate. They're going to touch themselves. Like we might as well just tell them how to do it in a safe way. And Mm -hmm. when we 
talk about like safety and just and boundaries. It, it like you said, it's really really important that young people know the names of that and know how to share what they are uncomfortable with, especially with uncomfortable touch from other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking about this sometime last week. I think it's so interesting when people try and use the like your body is a temple metaphor for kids because you're using that at a time where every single decision about their bodies has likely been decided by you, the adult. So now you're telling me, you've taught me nothing about my body. You've given me no indication that this is something that I'm supposed to be making decisions about. And now you're telling me that I am the person to take on this really intimidating, big task of treating my body like a temple. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Right. Like, that doesn't give me any information, actually. Right. I don't, like, and at what point, if... At what point did I ever feel like the agency over my body and all of a sudden it's a temple? Like, what mm-hmm. are you talking about? Totally. Yeah, is- that, that is really interesting. And yeah, I wonder, and I want to I wanna name too, like while we're talking about the fact that, you know, young people are more likely to report if they've mm-hmm. been touched in a way that they don't like it, if they know their parts, they're also more likely to experience pleasure without shame with those parts. Mm-hmm. Like we need to talk about both at once because I feel like if we're only talking about the negative part of that, then we're, we're doing a huge disservice to what most people feel in their body when they feel it without shame, which is pleasure. And if we mm-hmm. give people the tools to say, hey, you know, this is your vulva and this is your penis and some people really like touching it. And just as long as you do that in the privacy of your own home and you're not hurting yourself or it's not taking over your daily responsibilities, have fun. You yeah. deserve that. Have pleasure. Yeah. Like no one talks to their kids like that, like usually. Mm-hmm. And if we shift that narrative and we kind of encourage that conversation a little bit more, then how could young people grow into potentially sexual adults who mm-hmm. feel proud of their bodies and proud of their parts instead of ashamed? Yeah, absolutely. And when I think sexuality is so disregarded as something that that's feels not important and not part of like the parenting process. But when it comes to healthy relationships with themselves and with other people, it's so important. It's so important. It just doesn't deserve to be disregarded, I guess, because I get the parent is more uncomfortable than anything. Right. Right. Yeah. And who knows their relationship to their body and to their sexual health. I think like, you know, when we're talking about body image and like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you and your friends and your friends' relationships with their moms or their parents. But I think like there is a lot of unpacking to do when it yeah. comes to how our parents receive certain images from the media or from their parents around their parts and their body and how those are just inevitably passed down. And like how challenging is it to break that cycle if we have kids and like what mm-hmm. that or other young people around us? Because it's it is pervasive. It's very strong culture and like norms and it's really tough to shift. Yeah, totally. And it's a lot of conflicting information too in in media. It's you're you're supposed to be like pure and um fem for women. Pure, feminine, um representing this like a holistic person until you are in a relationship or married and then you're supposed to be like a sex goddess. Like right. what? I don't understand. Yeah. What do you like? And like again, missionary only, mean? like the yeah. guy, you know, like the guy's like, you know, like moaning and then he just kind of right. like rolls over and that's it. Right, exactly. And even to to the credit of of, of really actually everyone, no one is taught how to pleasure a, a body that's 
like yours or like someone else's, like no one's taught how to do that. So it's so ridiculous that when you're then having these sexual experiences, there's an expectation that you're going to, this other person is going to be able to like figure out how to make you orgasm or come or mm-hmm. give you a pleasurable experience if you don't know how to do it for yourself and they also don't know how to do it for themselves and they don't know how to do that for you and no one knows anything right. and it's freaking out it's a and mess then, and it just prevent like it just that's that shame cycle just continues and rolls into like oh my god just a garbage spiral totally. um, <laughs> do you feel like there are any questions that get asked in your classrooms or even on your social platforms most often for sure. Yeah. I would say like, I, I could give like a top three maybe okay. and like what, what my answers usually are. So like far and away, the most like common question that we get in our DMs and like some form of this always shows up in middle school and high school is, am I masturbating too much? Some version of that of like, am I masturbating too much? How mm. how much is like healthy masturbation I feel like I feel guilty when I masturbate. I grew up religious. How do I feel? You know, this is how I feel about masturbation. It's like wrapped up in kind of like guilt, shame, religion, too too muchness of masturbation. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is usually, hey, like realistically, you're doing just fine. Like most people have a healthy relationship to masturbation. Although let's go through some questions, right? And I kind of mentioned this a little bit before when we were chatting, but number one, are you not performing your daily responsibilities like usual? Like, are you masturbating instead of doing your homework or instead of doing, you know, performing childcare needs if you're an adult, uh, instead of going to work or to school, right? Like, no, you're doing all those things. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Are you in pain? Are you physically hurting yourself? Like, does your body hurt when you do it? No. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. Do you feel like you're making anyone else around you uncomfortable? Like, are you kind of doing this in public or are you doing it in the privacy of your own home? Like more likely than not, you're probably doing it in the privacy of your own home. Great. Go to town is like yeah. usually what, what comes after that. And like, if you're still kind of feeling uncomfortable with, with that, or you're really unable to let go of this guilt and shame either, even like after trying to for, you know, un- after unlearning those things, you can always chat with a sex therapist or a mental health therapist or your doctor and just say, hey, these are the feelings that I'm having. What do I do? Because more often than not, people have felt guilt and shame around masturbation, again, because of the messaging that this is weird, this is wrong, this is shameful. And mm-hmm. so we we do have to do a lot of unlearning around that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think a lot of the time they're asking you a moral question that you right. can't it's really like, Is it answer? okay if I do this? And I'm like, that's yeah. really up to you, you know? Like right. it's tough. It's tough for me to answer, which is coming to the second pop most popular one that we used to receive. We don't receive it as much anymore, but we have received a lot of am I pregnant? Like a lot of people <laughs> are concerned with them having an accident, you know, the condom breaks or they decided not to have sex you know, with a condom, you know, and they want me as a sex educator to tell them like, it's okay, you're not pregnant. When in reality, no one can answer that question for you on the internet. That's number one. Number two, you won't be able to know that right away. (laughs) Like Mm. usually it takes like within the week of your missed period to know if you're pregnant or not, because Mm -hmm. it can take days for the sperm to reach the egg days for that fertilization to happen, days for the for the egg to implant. 
And so we're looking at weeks before you can really know that answer. And I can't tell you that over the internet. You're going to need to either go to a clinic or a doctor or buy a pregnancy test after you, you know, the, you know, the days of your missed period, read the box, whatever box that you say can, or you see can tell you like when exactly to take it. And if you're concerned that you just, the condom just broke, right? Highly recommend checking out if plan B would be a good option for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the most accessible thing. And Ella is a prescription emergency contraception that's more effective and Mm -hmm. is more weight inclusive. And then the most uh, effective form of emergency contraception is actually like the copper IUD. Um, Mm -hmm. So less accessible, but like more effective. And so that I just am, yeah, I I feel for people like they're panicked when they do that and they don't really know where to turn. But let me tell you here first, I can't tell you the answer to that (laughs) over the internet. And I don't think it would be ethical for me to, I'm not your doctor. I'm not your medical provider, but we've definitely gotten a lot of those questions. I feel like some part of them probably knows that and they're just really, really hoping that you say, no, you're no, fine. No, you're good. You're totally fine. Don't worry right. about it. Right. It's so wild that they're coming into your DMs and asking that. I know. And like, I, you know, it's this whole thing because there's so much education around the menstrual cycle and ovulation, right? Like mm-hmm. people don't understand like how pregnancy occurs more often than not. And like, if you've already ovulated, right? Like I have no idea where you are in your cycle. You probably yeah. don't know. We're not usually like tracking those things unless we are actively like trying Smart. to get pregnant or we're, you know, somehow like really aware of our ovulation. If if your period is super regular and arrives on the same day, 28-day cycle, like maybe you know roughly, mm-hmm. but it's really really hard to like exactly track your ovulation. And so mm-hmm. I think it just comes from this general anxiety where People make a decision that they don't want to use a condom and they want to kind of rationalize that afterwards by being like, yeah, you know, I just, I, we were in the moment and like, I didn't really want to. And it's like, Hey, that this is your life. Like you get to decide what the risks and the rewards are of unprotected sex. But like at the end of the day, if it's going to cause a lot of pain and panic, like, is it worth it? Like is a birth control method, uh, maybe a better option is like, a condom kind of a non-negotiable to prevent this panic. I think there's like a lot of questions that I have for people. Yeah. I've also met people, one person in particular that I'm thinking of, who uses emergency contraception as, as almost birth control. Like so often that I'm like, girlfriend, that just can't be good for your body. Although yeah. I think I think it is a myth that the more often you use it, the less effective it is. I, I think I saw that that's not true, which is great, but it's also not meant to be used Correct. <laughs> as like a birth control method. It's for emergencies. Right. I think like it doesn't have bearing on your future fertility. Like there are a lot of myths out there of like, oh, if I use emergency contraception three times in a month, then it's going to make me infertile. And it's like, yeah, no, it's not. Uh, but you <laughs> probably shouldn't be using it like that if you're just wanting a better form of birth control. So again, like maybe that's a set it and forget it model of like an IUD or, mm-hmm. you know, the next one on, or maybe you want to use a pill so you can remind a reminder to take it every day, like whatever your kind of best form of birth control is. Um, there are a lot of people, interestingly enough, have you heard of these aura rings? 
Yes. Is it okay. an internal ring? So there's a Nuva ring that's an internal ring. And then there's an Aura ring, which is a ring that you wear on your finger. It oh. tracks like your sleep and your yeah. all, like your fucking all this stuff. And people have been using it as a fertility tracker because it tracks your temperature. And oh. so there's like kind of like a I don't I don't use it, but I know the, a lot of people who use it. It's kind of like the new it thing. I feel like, like kind of like a Fitbit, but really it's like a you know yeah. a ring that is better. I think. And uh, people use like the application to kind of track their period and use it as fertility because temperature has to do with like tracking your fertility. I don't know. I think like it is pretty – like the efficacy I believe is pretty high. Maybe do Mm -hmm. your own research on this. I think it's like a relatively new product. But I I think a lot of like – I think like Nike or like other kind of like – sports brands are partnered with them and like mm-hmm. they do do a lot of kind of like I don't fucking know sports and period stuff I really don't, <laughs> I don't know the ring like well enough but but I do think it's interesting to think about like other kinds of non-hormonal kind of tracking birth yeah. control methods if you're like really really you know um efficient and you really are tracking to the t about your temperature and all of these things, then I do think that that works for some people, but it's it's a tough method for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm not that I'm not responsible enough, but I think that I'm I'm flighty enough that I right. couldn't. There's I just it's don't tough. think not for me, but I, I know that there are people who do it and are very successful with it. I also think that those rings are very expensive. I, I've looked they them up are. before. I think Hundreds. they're like, yeah, 300 ish dollars. So like if that's, yeah. yeah, if it, if that's disposable income, you feel comfortable spending right. for sure worth investigating mm-hmm. for me at this time, it's going to be it's a gonna, hard no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, but no, thank you. But I'm happy for the people who get to, um, sure. who get to do that. Right. Um, so the, so the first two questions that you most commonly get, were the, am I pregnant? Yeah. Am I masturbating too much? What will right. be third? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think. Um, we definitely get questions around like side effects of birth control as well. Interesting. Um, like people and like for youth specifically when it comes to birth control and STI testing, it's like, how can I do this without my parents knowing? Mm. And I like – I. I personally really love those questions because I really believe that all teens and all people, really all kids, like deserve to have their own relationship with healthcare providers. Specifically when I was living in New York State, it was kind of like, oh, if you are like 12 and above or like 13 and above, like you don't need a parent's permit per- permission to go mm-hmm. get an STI test and to go chat about birth control. The only tricky thing is that if you're on your parents' insurance, which you most likely are, you will probably get like a phone call to your parents' number, like talking about the appointment. You'll probably get something in the mail that has to do with a bill or kind of like Mm. a summary of services. So it it can be tricky. I do think like there are ways where you can kind of walk into a Planned Parenthood and be like, hey, like this is my age, like this is what I want to do. Can you talk to me about my options depending on the state that you're in? Another place that you can kind of check is if you go online and like Google Planned Parenthood, uh, like Roo, R-O-O, that's their chat bot. And you can mm-hmm. ask them like, hey, I'm a teen in this state. Can I come in and make an appointment without my parents knowing and just see what they say? Because it definitely, it, it should be confidential information. 
But again, mm-hmm. it can be it can be a little tricky. So that's probably like definitely a really common question we get in the classroom. And I just I love being able to provide young people with the answer of like, hey, number one, if you're comfortable, I really recommend talking to your parent or guardian about this because it could be really great to get on the same page as them. And mm-hmm. here are a few like prompts that I would recommend you for starting the conversation. But for many people, this is not a reality, right? So if number one isn't possible, then number two is here. Check out these clinics, check out the laws in your state, see what you're able to do as a teen, and know that your reproductive rights and your uh, conversations with your medical provider should be confidential and are important and you deserve that. And I think that young people aren't taught that quite enough. Yeah, I fully agree. I think if if those services were available in a way that were that were was completely private to any person who is a teenager or under 18 or just not on their own health insurance people would go so much more often if you made it easy and accessible and private people mm-hmm. would go but you make it into the when you make it into this whole like thing where you're going to have to like tell everybody your parents where you're going and and then it ends up being a whole uh, production then right. people are going to be a lot less likely to go mm-hmm. totally uh, yeah and and like you know young people don't have extra income to be able to right. spend on testing so like in some states it is free in some clinics it is free and you can get free condoms usually from those clinics, uh, depending on the kind of birth control you want to get. Like that's why if an IUD like works for your reproductive goals and your reproductive needs could be a great option for a teen because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, this the copper IUD, for example, can last up to 12 years. So you're like, okay, if, if you're liking it and you don't mind whatever side effects come from it or, you know, you you think it's it's a good option for you, then it's great because then you can just set it, forget it. You don't need to worry about it for years to come. Yeah, totally. It's actually when you were saying that, you know, teens are not going to have disposable income to to put towards things like this. And also my first reaction is like, they shouldn't have to. It's like insane that that unfortunately in the US, if they cannot find a free option available to them, that that would be a cost that they would somehow be responsible for. It's just so uh, unfair. Absolutely. (laughs) It feels very inappropriate, but you know. Yeah. And all think about this, right? Like imagine a world in the US, well, imagine the US, I'll start with the US, Mm -hmm. where in every public school, there was a free clinic that youth specifically teens, right? Like you most likely, like maybe you're starting to have sex in middle school. Like on average, the first age at first, like penetrative sex in the U S is like 17. So Mm. really this would be for high school students, right? Like ninth grade and above, you're able to go into the clinic, talk to the nurse about what's going on with you, get tested, get a birth control option, get free condoms, get lube, get information. Like imagine if that was just a thing that like had everyone had funding for just like they had funding for whatever their football team, right? Like what if it was matched and like it was equally as important and prioritized everywhere? Like how would young people view their reproductive health and needs differently? Right. And I think that 
ironically, that would lead a lot more to the my body is my temple mentality, which I think that the whole sentence is like kind of ridiculous, but to to find a because everyone values their body, like don't make it seem like people don't value their body because they want to have sex. Like that's crazy and so mm-hmm. offensive. Um, but if you gave people the tools, you made it easy, accessible in their school. So it feels normal because mm-hmm. it is the likelihood of them making better decisions astronomically goes up. Of course. I just, it just feels like, I mean, we're just speaking to each other in a vacuum now. Totally. I mean, hopefully whoever's listening, like if this isn't, you know, if, if you're passionate about this, if you're like, oh yeah, I think this could be cool. Like I, I implore you, I challenge you to just do a little Googling after this episode and Mm -hmm. see like what the local sex ed policies are for where you live. Like just Google your town, sex ed public school and see what comes up. See your your representative and who is the local legislature who may helps like, you know, implement new things in schools. Like you definitely could be making an impact. And if, if it's something if it's just as simple as just a Google search to just mm-hmm. see like what what's going on here, set your timer for 10 minutes. And if you can't yeah. figure the fuck out what in 10 <laughs> minutes what's going on, then let it go. But like, you know, yeah. it's like think about how much we scroll on like social media and we're just in our own things. Like Imagine if all of us just kind of like took a second to really like see what was going on in our neighborhood. That is an amazing idea. I'm going to do that. I don't. I didn't. I, I want to do it as well. School. Yeah, I didn't go to public school in the area I live in now, but I will. I will absolutely do that. Yeah, just um, to see. A, a great idea. So, tell us about your new project, Curious Sex Ed. I would love to. Thank you for asking. So. Mariah Cordillo and I uh, have created a, a new uh, podcast series called Curious Sex Ed. And the one-liners that were real sex educators answering even realer anonymous sex ed questions that you write into us. And so Love it. the idea is that, you know, Mariah has this very specific, brilliant way that she gets education across it, which is reading these anonymous sex ed questions again with with like her students consent like she always makes sure that she has their consent before she uses them in her content and she reads them and just simply says the answer with resources if needed and visuals and just explains it in a really really fantastic way and sex educators are very familiar with this because a lot of us use this anonymous question box and Mm. so with my podcast, Sex Ed with DB, and her like already working on this format, we had this idea to join forces. And every Friday, we're going to be coming out with a really like elongated version of the answer to these anonymous sex ed Ooh. questions. And so today is when the first episode comes out, Friday, April 28th. And you can find uh, Curious Sex Ed through Sex Ed with DB. So if you look up Sex Ed with DB, you should be able to see the Curious Sex Ed logo and check it out. And today's question is all about porn addiction because that comes up a lot for people. Like, Mm -hmm. can you be addicted to porn? Like, what does that really look like? Is that an actual disorder? And so in it, we really delve deep into not only the answer to this question, but we also talk about our own personal experiences. When did we first get introduced to porn? What does that mean for us? How did that impact the way we see porn now? And then we talk about like all the different things within this question of like, okay, what does, you know, the American Psychological Association say about this? What what does disordered behavior look like around this? What are some signs that you might be struggling with having an unhealthy relationship to porn? 
-hmm. in the future, we really want to cover what is a healthy relationship to porn look like? What does ethical porn look like? Let's talk about that. And so, um, you can check that out anywhere you get your podcasts and they're going to be available to everyone the first three episodes and then the remaining 17 episodes because we're going to do it every week for 20 weeks is going to be exclusively available through buy me a coffee so we as sex educators yeah like we we really want to emphasize the fact that this education should be accessible to all people we want it to feel like oh you know like you you want to be able to feel like you're gaining access to this information in a way that's non-judgmental and in a way that feels approachable. And at the same time, like we are experts, we want to be kind of compensated and appreciated for our time, for our expertise, for our information that we're giving. And so that's why the first three are going to be available wherever you get your podcasts. And then the remaining will be uh, behind a paywall. And if you want, uh, you can join our bestie crew, which is nine bucks a month, and you'll get access to that weekly content, as well as shout outs um, in our future episodes. And if you don't have nine bucks a month to spare, that's totally cool. On Buy Me a Coffee, you can just give like a one-off tip to buy us a coffee for the work that we're doing if you enjoy our content. I love this so much. I'm so excited to listen to today's episode. I was literally just reading yesterday about the way that the definition of porn addiction has changed over the last like uh, 40, 50 years. And so this is like the perfect, perfect time for this episode. I'm so excited to listen to it. I'm glad. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And so even you were talking about Mariah and the way that she makes her videos on, on her platforms, but I love the way that you make your content too, because like I said, it's very like fun and interactive, but also the way that you approach everything is neutral enough to make it like not scary and not like if you were to just pass pass one of your reels, you wouldn't be like, eh. you wouldn't be icked out if you would get icked out by sex in any other way. And so I love the way that you make your content. And now you also are doing workshops for sex educators who want to have similar platforms. I'll be doing your workshop. I saw your yeah. email. I'll be doing it. I can't wait. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm also, so I'm thank so you. happy. Oh my god, thank you. I'm so happy that you're teaching this because the way that you do it is so like natural. I just like I love it. Oh, do you have thank you. Oh my god, of course. <laughs> um do you have any um like specific theory around the way that you create that content so that it's not so intimidating and creates more open conversations for people who would not normally do that? Oh, that's a good question. First of all, I really appreciate your kind words about my content. I think like I really do like to use humor to just kind mm -hmm. of like make something feel like less intense or scary. And that's how I like to consume stuff. So I like putting it out there like that. So thank you. But mm -hmm. in terms of your question around any tips for people who want to kind of create similar content, like as you mentioned, Check, check out my check my workshop, please. Uh, yes. Go to sexedwithdb.com slash workshop. And it's called Building a Profitable Online Sexual Health Brand. And it's just all about, you know, okay, how do I get my advertisers? How do I know like how to make consistently like good content that will reach my audience? Like what, what do I do? And so a little tidbit that I do go over in the workshop is kind of like, create the content that you would want to see kind of like be the change you wish to see in the world, but like create the stuff that you think is like of quality. Right. And yeah. like 
for you, if it's organic to just, which is like, this is what it feels like for me to just see what is trending and like what things people are actually laughing at and laughing with and see how you can relate it to something that you are doing yourself. And that's like mm-hmm. the easiest, most organic way to feel like, oh, I feel like really confident in my ability to make this because it, it took me, you know, X amount of time. Whereas right. if you're really working hard and you're brainstorming and it's, something's just not clicking and you're not feeling creative, like that's okay. Maybe that's just not the right way for you to make it. Um, mm. Or maybe you really like that process. I think it really depends on like the kind of content that you want to make and the kind of effort that you want to put across. Like I have a friend, her name on TikTok is the big Lissa. Uh, Just shout her out. She is also a sex educator and she makes these amazingly thorough, detailed like music videos where she's singing along about like, she's like gonorrhea and she's just like (laughs) doing this whole thing and it takes her hours and hours and hours and it's fucking hysterical. So like (laughs) no shade if you're taking a long time because she's hilarious and a brilliant, brilliant creator, but that's just not me. And that's okay too. Like I just really like to see like what people are laughing at. How can I relate it to sex ed? And then how can I use my podcast to really delve deeper into those topics? So like my TikTok and my content on social is just like you're dipping your toe in the water. Like what does that really look like? Yeah. You made like a funnel for people to follow. And that's- that's the way to do it so that people have like, you can decide the level of investment you want to right. <laughs> you exactly. want to take in that way. I totally. love that. I think that that's such a great, a great way to do it. And it's so funny. I like, I, I have been a social media manager for brands, like for like beauty brands specifically. It is so, so different in any education space, specifically sex education and part of it is because obviously when you're doing when you're marketing like a beauty brand you have you have claims that you need to you know make sure you're accurate with and whatever but when you're doing something that's education especially health related it's so important that you're right like it's mm-hmm. so it's so important that everything is fact checked five times fact checked five times and so and like that's always that's always what stresses me out the most. Totally. And so when I when I make videos, and I had made one like a couple of days ago that was about um, how self-criticism affects your ability to have the sex that you want, essentially, mm. and it affects your mental health and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I, I made that whole video. I was specific with my wording. I put the source information in the, in the caption, and that video did okay. I made a video on making a tea it did four times as well. I was like, wow. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's tough out here. <laughs> and I, I talk about this in my workshop, but like shadow banning and like yeah. re- like suppression is a real, real thing for sex educators and for sex workers. And yet not really for models, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's really interesting. Like I partnered with a really wonderful, smart, cool, beautiful model for Playboy on this cool thing that we did that was like uh make your girl come it was all about the orgasm gap and i'll I'll send you some links um yes but it's just funny to me like those videos don't do as well because they're in the female gaze whereas when she's like walking down the street in slow-mo in a bikini that's the male gaze and like those videos get millions and millions of views so it's like it's not about like the nudity aspect right it's like more about like oh well because like people are like 
are sexist and misogynistic and people make the algorithms that are also mm-hmm. those things and racist and all of the isms that we know and that are really challenging for us. That's why this happens is like we, we, it's just, it's fascinating to really see it in real time. Same kind of thing, like TikTok lives. I've come across so many TikTok lives of like women with no bra on a, uh, what's it called on a what's the machine where you run on it oh a treadmill (laughs) a treadmill yeah thank you so much wow I really totally forgot that word and like they're just walking on a treadmill with no bra like their boobs are just bouncing around and like yet I can't do a live like talking about a period (laughs) right right and this was something that even came up um when money shot first came out all of these accounts that were related to that documentary started to get banned and it was like the of course of course the people who are adult entertainers sex workers they got banned pretty quickly but their personal accounts were getting banned like their accounts that had no no relation to what their job is those were getting banned the woman who directed the film got banned from instagram it's like what it's and the she, worst like she's not you know she's not violating any community guidelines so it just makes no sense and it's frustrating to also do like, and that's one piece of it, but then it's also frustrating to be wanting to share accurate information to negate all of the inaccurate information that yes. gets distributed and then you get shut down and shadow banned. It's terrible. It's like, yeah. it's so annoying. And like, at this point, I just try to get as much press about it as possible. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I did like a couple, like a Mashable article about it or like was featured in one about that, about shadow banning on TikTok in particular. And oh, I just I think gave up on TikTok. I, I gave up. It's tough out there. I'm like, my videos are getting like 180 views. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is going on here? It's just I, terrible. Me, my video, my views are awful because anytime I've posted anything sex ed related, that's when all of my views dip like crazy. And I've had several videos get taken down for content guidelines. And they are there are videos that are not, it's not even like it's not even like how to make your girl come. It's not even that, which should still be okay. Right. It's it's literally like here's a map of teen pregnancy and here's a map of um the places that allow abstinence only education. It's just like and a CDC graph. It's just like literally a CDC graph. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is exhausting. It's it's <laughs> totally exhausting. Yeah. And I wonder, like, I don't know, where do you think like we're gonna go with this? Because like obviously. With TikTok, you know, there's so much talk of it like being banned and like I don't mm-hmm. knock on wood, like I really don't I hope and I don't think that's gonna happen because of how much many Americans are on it. I'd be mm-hmm. really surprised. But like where where does this come to a head? Like where's the peak of this? I think what's going to end up happening, I, I have mixed feelings about if TikTok is going to get banned because you have to follow where the money is. Right. And they just started to really open up their advertising dollars. Right. And so – Part of me thinks that that because of the amount of money that they're going to start circulating within TikTok, if that money makes its way back to the U.S. in any way, shape, or form, they're not TikTok's not going anywhere. Right. It's just not. I would be so sad to see the platform go, even just because I feel like there's information that gets circulated there that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Like especially when there have, has been like when there was all that violence in Iran not long ago, like. Mm. I, that, that was the only way that anyone was seeing any of it was right. women were like sneaking their cell phones around and being able to share 
what was happening. And that was so important. And powerful. that type of, yeah, super powerful. And that type of information circulates there. Um, and having the algorithm be primarily to keep you on the app as long as possible means that you will get served the things that you want to see versus on Instagram where you're getting served the things they want you to buy. Mm. And so the algorithm just functions a little differently in that way. And so TikTok, I think, caters to finding um, new information about interests that you you have. And Instagram is taking the interests that you've proven that you have and finding a way to sell them to you. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I hope... I hope that TikTok sticks around. I think for like the the sex ed community, TikTok is always going to be a really tricky place. And one of the things that's so frustrating about it is you have to use all these ridiculous words. Like I know, and it's annoying because socks instead of sex. Yeah, I saw I saw that one. That was good actually. Um, but it's frustrating because you want to encourage people to use the actual words that are appropriate and fine to use and you can't do that on these social platforms so i don't know that tiktok will ever be like a a place where sex educators will really thrive there are people who certainly do it um i don't know that it's going to be as accessible and easy to do as it is on instagram for some reason mm -hmm. um and i think what's going to end up happening too is like people are going to have to put stuff behind paywalls so I think it's it's going to be increasingly important if you are somebody who likes sex education and appreciates like a handful of sex educators to find ways to support us to support them. Yeah, like if it, like if they have a podcast and they have a way to donate to the podcast, like you guys do, um, that's a really important. It's really important because another part of it too is if your entire livelihood is creating content around sex education, the advertisers that you have access to are wildly different. Like mm -hmm. you are not going to get, like if you have 200,000 followers and you are a lifestyle influencer, you can get your hotels.com. Yeah. Hotels.com. Those are, they're not, they're not the, you know, the phone ain't ringing from no. hotels.com. <laughs> no you emails have come through yet. <laughs> uh, still waiting on that. <laughs> the inbox cobwebs, not from them, Correct. you know? And so, so, and I'm speaking from a place of tremendous privilege because I went on the show. And so if I'm saying it, then you got to know that for anybody who did not just get like thrown into a platform that they didn't necessarily work for, like it's tough. So just support, support the people that you enjoy, the people who are doing the hard legwork that your freaking, you know, gym teacher didn't do when you were in high school Correct. <laughs> because it's important. And that's why I really like chatting with you, Alyssa, because I feel like you really do put your money where your mouth is, like in terms of you, you do really support the sex ed community. And I think because of your background as like a sex positive person and you have worked in the field and you really, really care about people in this community, like it very much shows. So thank you for, for having me and for like being just an authentic, cool person. Thank you. I really try. It stresses me out a lot. So I'm glad that it, that it it's coming that through. It, Good. I'm, I'm very, very glad. I care about this community very, very much. And, um, it's just such important work and it, I could not like, it would never be an industry that I would ever want to like inappropriately monetize from or take away from or like cheapen because it is so important. 
And, um, and so I'm very thankful for people like you in this platform too, and all of the work that you do on like your private channels, like on your podcast, that kind of thing. And also finding ways to finesse it on Instagram and TikTok too. It's amazing. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I'm, I wouldn't, I can't envision myself doing anything else, right? Like it's, it's very, very rewarding work that I'm really, really passionate about. It's very fun. It's very, uh, exciting every day to wake up and feel like I'm doing something that like has a positive impact on people, I hope. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I hope that if you're listening and you think I'm kind of cool, I guess you can, <laughs> yeah. Can I share like where people can find me? Yes. Yes. Give us all the places and we'll put everything in the um, description too. So they're clickable, but where can Amazing. we find you? Amazing. So wherever you get your podcast, Sex Ed with DB, uh, those are my initials, Danielle Bezalo. Uh, you can find me at sexedwithdb.com if you're interested in checking out our discounts. We have really, really great sponsors who I def I use personally. So mm-hmm. highly recommend you check out our discount page on our website and get some discount codes for really great stuff. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast, on TikTok and Twitter at sexedwithdb. And on YouTube, if you just search Sex Ed with DB as well, you'll find us there. And like I said, check out Curious Sex Ed uh, on buymeacoffee.com slash Curious Sex Ed. If you want to tip me a dollar, five dollars, whatever, buy us a coffee for all the work that we're doing. And again, thank you, Alyssa, so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. I enjoy talking to you every single time we get to chat. So I appreciate it very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. As a reminder, we are always accepting questions about sex ed, about relationships, life advice. We will accept it all. We would love to hear from you. So send us an email to Alyssa Explains It All Pod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.